Well, hello there. How's it going? You guys doing all right? Good. My name is Bryce. I work here with you from time to time. Our key scripture this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up there. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That is such a great verse, isn't it? And it applies to us as a church because we as a church, we believe a few things. We believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. And here's what we mean when we say we believe it changes everything. We believe that people deserve a better experience of community than they're getting. Therefore, we believe that Jesus changes the way we experience community. We are a family that accepts people as they are. I mean, look around. We're pretty accepting. Our family looks out for one another and encourages each other to be more like Jesus every day. We take responsibility for one another and strive to help each other know the love of Jesus in all of life's ups and downs. We also believe that Jesus changes the way we see ourselves. This is our grow value. We believe that we are imperfect people. In every moment and everything we do, we need the love and grace of God that is found in Jesus. And this need that we have for the love of God in Jesus defines us. But it doesn't discourage us. There is always something better in Jesus, and we want to continually grow into that something. And you know, as we grow into that something that Jesus is making us, a desire rises up in us to give. Because Jesus changes the way that we see other people. Jesus, he would see people and he would love them, just right where they were, no matter where they had been, no matter what they had done. He passionately and dynamically loved them. And when he saw trouble and heartache and failure, he responded to what he saw. His eyes were open to everyone. And we want our eyes to be open to love people in the same way. And, and we believe in this love and this change so much that we want to go and, and tell the world about what Jesus has done because we believe that everyone in the world needs to hear what Jesus has done for them. 
Because he didn't just do it for us in this room, you see. He's done this for everyone. And we believe that Jesus matters. It does not matter if someone says he does not matter. We believe that Jesus matters. He matters to those who believe, but also to those who don't. Because the world church is lost without Jesus. And as people who know who Jesus is, it is our job to go out and help people find him. Because we believe that the love of God in Jesus in their life will change everything. It'll change everything. Here's something that maybe we haven't considered about how important it is that Jesus changes everything. What if there were things in our lives that Jesus could not or would not change? What if there was something that Jesus was incapable of doing in us or for us or through us? If he were not capable of changing everything, then where would that leave us? You see, this, this transformative life, earth, world-changing Jesus is just the Jesus that we need. We don't need anything less than that, than a Jesus who changes everything. Because our story would be different if the gospel said that Jesus can overcome most things. Wouldn't it be a different story? If that's what the story was, well, you know, Jesus can do pretty good with most things, just not everything. But praise God that this is not what the gospel says. You see, Paul, in his writings to the early church, emphasized that in Jesus, God can change everything. And therefore, it's so drastic, it's so big, that you actually become something that is new. You become something new. You don't become, you know, revamped. No, you become something new. There is a new life. And the old thing that was there before is gone. It ceases to be. What is old, worn out, and marked with failure is gone. And its place is something that is brand new in Jesus. That new creation can become anything through the love of God in Christ Jesus and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, we have a new year in front of us and we start this new year out by rejoicing with one another. You're so joyful this morning. The energy level is like through the roof. We rejoice together today. Let's smile and let's exclaim, thank you God. That was pretty good. You can practice it. Maybe you need to stand in front of a mirror during the week and just say that a little bit. Because there is nothing that cannot be overcome through the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. We believe that the love of God changes everything. Even when we don't want him to. Welcome to the, one of the most magical times of the year. I know what you're thinking, we just came out of Christmas and all those things, and that's pretty super awesome, but that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, Jesus, Shmizus, right? 
This is the most magical time of the year for a lot of reasons. Um, gym parking lots are like super duper full right now. Uh, self-help books are flying off the shelves. Yay. Uh, people are learning how to play musical instruments for the first time in their life. It's true. I've always wanted to play the piano. Uh, Money is being saved where it wasn't before. Uh, maybe. And people are cutting back. Uh, we've started trying to get rid of things in our house because it just seems to be overflowing from every, every single place. Um, and the reason why all of these things and more are happening is because it's a new year, baby. Right? There is no time like the present. And with the changing of the calendar comes a change in how we look at life. A change in how we look at ourselves, a change in how and what we think we can or cannot do. And those things that we have been putting off, we are not going to put them off anymore. Next week, I'm on it. I am on it. Have you ever tried, however, to suggest a New Year change for someone. Have you ever tried that? You should. It's the game that's sweeping the nation. Suggesting resolutions for others. Hey, you know what? If you've never thought about losing weight before, the calendar is turned. You can start over. Hey, you know what? If you... I don't know if you've thought about this or, or haven't, but um, they make this stuff called deodorant in stores. And if you would like to, um, now might be a great time to start using it, you know. There are so many good things we could suggest to people. If we could just go to them and say, guess what? There is no time to change like now. So, here's what you should change. How would that go? How would that go for you? I suggest trying it with your spouse, <laughs> you know, just for kicks. See how it goes. That's right. This is, I, I have years of experience in ministry and in counseling people, and so I will say 30% of the time, this will work for you every time, right? Um, that's right. That's right. I, I want to be busier in the new year. Um, but there, there is something about this time, right? There's something about this time. And if there are things we've been wanting to change about ourselves, I mean, what fa it fascinates me psychologically. If there are things that we've been wanting to change, we need some sort of catalyst to push us in the direction of whatever it is. And isn't it so funny that the thing that is the greatest catalyst for us to change something is the next day? It's January 1. It's a new year. It's all the, well, and Susie's right, not on January 1. January 1 is when we talk about it, and that's when we say, I'm not putting this off anymore, next week I'm going to do it. That's where that all comes into play. But the, the thing about this is that if we were all to be honest with ourselves, there's probably something we would like to change, whether it's in our appearance, whether it's in our habits, whether it's how we treat people. I mean, there's so many areas that need improvement in my life. And so there are things that need to be changed. And, 
And we use sometimes this time to go ahead and decide to change something. We need that catalyst. We need that push. But there are lots of reasons why we don't want to change. True? There are lots of reasons why we don't want to change. Um, maybe, you know, we're just comfortable with how things are. I, you know, I could change something, but I don't have to change something. And if I don't have to change something, I mean, what does it really matter anyway? Let's be honest, if we're okay about how things are, then it is really difficult to motivate ourselves to change something for whatever reason may be presented. So then we do um, the, the fake resolution with people. You know what that is? You know the, the fake resolution? Like your friend comes and it's a new year, man. Like, I'm going to change all these things. And they're passionate about it, and they're going on. And then they're like, what about you? And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to write a novel. <laughs> I'm going to travel around the world. Like, we do these, these kinds of things. But we can make this sort of half-hearted resolution just to join in. But it's because, really, we're comfortable with how things are. And even though... The calendar has changed. It doesn't really motivate us to do something. But, but there are people who are on the opposite end of the spectrum from that. Okay, So as much as there are people who say, everything's fine, I don't need to change anything, there are people on the other end of the spectrum who look at their lives and they say, holy smokes, where do I start? Right? Where do I start? Well, I start by telling you what you... No, 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 see, it's wrong. Where do I start? How do I do this? Because there are people as, that are comfortable, but there are also people that are uncomfortable with where they are and they know that a change needs to be made. But even in these circumstances where you know a change needs to be made, we can be very reluctant changers. Um, why? Because change can be a difficult road. I mean, just on its just bare minimum of whatever change it is, the bare minimum of change means that you are going to be doing something different than, you, than the way you did it before. And we do not like that. We don't. It is against our nature. I'm pretty sure God says don't do any of that. Things should stay the same. But here's what's even more hard. Like, true change requires us to look at ourselves more harshly than we would like to. True? True? True change causes us to look at ourselves more harshly than we would like to. And so we have to look at ourselves harshly and then we have to do all the work that it takes to make the change that we're going to make and then we don't know if we're going to be successful in doing all the work. And so what ends up happening around February? I tried that one Monday, and it didn't work, and so I'm done with whatever it is. I mean, the thing is that if, change, if a certain change was easy for us to do, we would have done it a long time ago. We're not talking about changing our socks, though some of you might need to do that at times. We're not talking about changing our socks. We're talking about changing something about ourselves. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about me. Sometimes I really wish I had a reset button. And I would love a reset button. 
I would love a start over switch. I would love to be able to do that. The reason why is that I do wish that I could change things about who I am, about my past, about decisions I've made, about mistakes that I've made, about damage I've done in relationships that I wish I could undo. And sometimes I sit back and think, sure, I can change things about myself in the future, but what I really want is to change my past. I want to change the mess up stuff that got me to this or to that, or I want to make this one decision differently. If I just made this one decision differently, I wish I could do some of those things. But the problem is that life doesn't have a reset button. I mean, I've looked for it. I've looked for it everywhere. It doesn't exist. There is no reset button. We don't get to start over. And actually, increasingly, in our culture... You are not allowed to even consider starting over. doesn't matter how much you've apologized. doesn't matter how much you've said, I did the wrong thing. doesn't matter what you've done in the 20 years since you did the wrong thing. You are not allowed to move on. Because every single thing you've said or done is now recorded somewhere. And every mistake you've made is brought up. And you cannot do enough. Listen to this for a second. You cannot do enough to put the bad things of your past behind you. Can't. It's becoming more and more impossible to do that. Life doesn't have that reset button. And so we have to deal with the decisions we have made and try to move forward. And even worse... We have to deal with other people's impressions of the bad decisions we've made and try to satisfy them, whether they're close to us or someone we've never even met before. Change is hard, even under the best of circumstances. We have to deal with things. We have to move forward. We have to make the best of things. We don't get to start over. But I wonder this morning for us if that is if that's actually true? What if that weight that we feel about not being able to change, about not being able to reset, about just wanting to start over, what if our perception of that not being possible is actually completely false? Let me ask you a question. Some of you may have been adopted. Some of you may have adopted children. But everyone kind of has a general understanding about adoption. And when is the most likely time for a child to be adopted? When they're a baby, right? And within the system, the older a child gets, the less likely they are to be adopted. So how old then is old to be adopted? Well, in some cases, 8, 9, 10, 15. How about 24? Does that seem old to be adopted? Let me tell you a little story. 24 year old, years old is pretty old for someone to be adopted, but at 24 years old, Shay Roberson was desperate for a mother. Uh, she aged out of foster care at 18. She went to college, and the one thing she wanted more than anything else was to have a family, to have a mother. But she's 24, and she doesn't anymore. So if we're 24 and we don't have a family, how do we start thinking about this? Well, I guess when I start my family, that's when I'll get to experience some of these things. But Shay 
that's not what she needed. She didn't need a son or a daughter. She needed a mother. Uh, Shay, along with her two sisters, entered the child welfare system in 2005. She was 11 years old when she started to bounce from foster home to foster home, sometimes living with her relatives. Uh, sometimes the siblings would return to their mom's care, but she was addicted to cocaine, and that ensured that she would be right back out of the house again. And then her family was growing. She had five siblings, but they were stuck in the welfare system. Um, but here's something heartbreaking, at least for me. All of Shay's siblings were adopted by a relative, but Shay was not. So she stayed in foster care, and maybe it was because of her age, you know, it's hard to say, but the rest went and got to live in a home with a relative. So for years, um, the only constant in her life, Shay's life, was a resource officer at her school whose name is Ginny Wing. Um, And they met when Shay was in sixth grade. And so... Shay said, you know, her only interactions with police officers were pretty negative up to that point, but here was someone at her school that actually showed interest in her. Um, She was the first female police officer that Shay had ever met, um, and Wing really cared, Jeannie really cared about Shay. Like, she treated her different than most adult women in her life had treated her. Um, For example, Wing and a school counselor became surrogate mothers to Shay. Uh, They threw her a graduation party. They helped her move into her dorm at Indiana University. Um, uh, Jenny would go and visit Shay on family weekends at school. And when Shay would come home, she'd have holidays uh, with Jenny and her family. And and, and the way the story goes is about, this this was in April this last year, so the previous April, while talking on the phone, Ginny made an offhand comment to Shay, and she said, we should have just adopted you. So Shay hears this, and what is the one thing she's been wanting her whole life? She's been wanting a family. And this person, who is one of the only women that's ever loved her, says, we should have just adopted you. And what does Shay think? You should. But she's scared. She's scared because she's 24. She's scared because no one adopted her as children. She's scared because she's been rejected her whole life. So she takes a year to ask Jenny if Jenny would adopt her. And so she finally called her up and she said, or actually she didn't call her up, she just sent her a message that she immediately wished she could take back. You know those? And she said to Jenny, um, would you think about adopting me one day? And here's what Jenny said in a heartbeat. So Jenny talked to her family, and they thought about the adoption, and her children said, this is their response, hey, kids, should we adopt Shay? And here's what her kids said, it's about time. It's about time. So they went and saw an attorney. The attorney said, you don't need to adopt this girl. She's from a troubled background. She's 24, you don't need this. So you know what they did? Went to another attorney. And that attorney worked it out for them. And at 24 years of age, on April 20th of this last year, Shay Roberson became Shay Roberson Wing. It's pretty amazing, right? I love it. I love it. Listen, in a world where... 
starting over, getting a new family, having a new opportunity is sold as a fairy tale, there is something that is true and real about it. There is. And here's what I believe in in some way, shape, or form. Everyone can use a new start. And here's what is incredible. A new start is in fact available to everyone. Not possible, we think. But what if all you have to do to get a new start is to send that message and ask for it? As we've been journeying through the story, we have found uh, that these new Christians, these followers of Christ, are now in a, in a really weird position. And it's a position that they didn't always understand they would be in. As much as Jesus said, I am going to die, I will be buried, I will raise again, I'm going to leave this place, they, they still didn't get it. But now, but now Jesus is gone, and here they are, with the most incredible story that anyone could ever tell. And Jesus had given them a mission. They are to go into all the world and spread the message of what we call the gospel. The gospel message. There are some challenges, however, that stand in their way. Number one, people think they're nuts. So if someone thinks you're nuts, they're really not going to take you seriously. Number two, some of these people that they're going out to speak to actually participated in some way in the death of Jesus. And at best, their religious leaders have told them that Jesus needed to die in order to save God's plan for God's people. That's an obstacle. Number three, in the time after the death of Jesus... There were a lot of I told you so's in the Jewish community. See, he's not who you said he was because, after all, he's dead. And the Christians say, no, he's alive. And they're like, prove it. And what's the one thing they can't do? Well, his body's not in the tomb. You stole his body. Yeah, but he's not here and he saw these people. They're lying. Let me think about this for a second. I mean, even in the direct aftermath of Jesus... It is so much easier to believe he never happened than to accept that he did. Do you see that? It is so much easier to believe that that he didn't happen than to accept that he did. And, And number four, while the message of the gospel may be simple, the road to the gospel was not. So what does the gospel say? Here's what it says. Jesus is the Son of God. He came to earth to live with us. He offered his life for us taking the penalty of our sin, which is death, upon himself. He died on our behalf, but he rose again, and in raising from the dead, he defeated death. He defeated our sin forever. And Jesus did all of this so that if we would believe in God, we would be free from the penalty of death, and we, have, we would have life forever with him. That's the gospel. If you want to say it even shorter, Jesus is the Son of God, He died, buried, and rose again. 
and he offers us forgiveness of sin and life with God. That is the core of the message. Is that a simple message? In actuality, it is. In actuality, it's a simple message. But the practice of the gospel is not simple. You have to accept that Jesus is the Son of God. This guy that you saw and that you saw die. and You have to accept that not only did he die, but that he then raised himself from the dead. And even more difficult than that, you have to believe that you need what Jesus then has to offer. What does Jesus have to offer? Love, forgiveness, eternal life? Yes. And at the middle of this is a key concept. Jesus offers the opportunity to start over. He offers the opportunity, the opportunity to start over. All of your mistakes, all of your bad choices, all the things you have done, which have driven a wedge between you and God, those things are now overcome because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those things that have defined you do not define you anymore. Those things that have defined you do not define you anymore. Now, I'm, I'm going to get on you for a second here. We are spoiled. Because I repeated that message twice. And no one said a thing. No one even smiled. We are spoiled by the message of Jesus. And yes, this is in my notes. We are spoiled by our understanding of Jesus. Our ears have grown numb to the power of this message. That Jesus changes everything about you. He changes everything about you and about who you are. And here's why we are numb to this message. It's because we know how people hear that word change because we hear change in the same way. It is so easy for people to hear this message and what they say is, see, Jesus wants to change me. I want to be myself. Jesus wants me to become something different. And I kind of like who I am. I mean, yeah, I could clean up something here and there. But Jesus changing me, I, I, don't, I don't need that. I'm sure none of you have ever thought that or had that conversation with any non-Christian in your life. But this is how we hear that word change. It's how we hear the word transformation. It's how we hear all these things. Jesus wants to do something to me. And I don't know if I want that something to be done. I don't know if I want that something to be done. That interpretation could not be any further from what the gospel actually says. Couldn't be. You couldn't make up something that is further, that distorts the truth of the gospel more than that. That God wants to do something to you. And you have to stop being yourself in order to follow Jesus. Now, 
there's something about that that rings true to us, right? Right. Because we look at that and we say, yeah, but Bryce, like, that's the point, right? Transformation, change, becoming something. Yes, it is. But it's not what we're calling it when we talk about it that way. So here's the problem that the disciples face. Their message is a miraculous one. It's the best thing you could ever say to anyone at any time. And yet, they are pounding their heads against people who do not want it. Because they have to change too much about who they are in order to accept it. Now, let's just do this together. The the message is miraculous, but not everyone wants it. And we sit here and we hear those words. Not everyone wants it. And we want to make some certain noises. I'm going to model the noise. You follow up the noise. You ready? (sighs) Do it. Come on. (sighs) What? Right. Because we're numb to the message of the gospel. And so we say, oh, well. Like, why wouldn't they? Of course they would. Of course, why didn't they do that? They just see it. Look how good God is. Look how good Jesus is. We want to make those noise. But before we get too carried away, we might want to consider the question that I asked you earlier. The love of God in Jesus changes everything, but how much do we want him to change about us? And when we ask ourselves that question, we kind of realize, hmm, hmm. You know, I see what the, pro- I see what the problem is. Yeah. yeah, I see what the problem is. And, But here's what is so cool about this message. Those charged with spreading the gospel early on in the church, their life was centered around transformation. It was centered around change. Who they once were, they are not that person anymore. Let's look at the two most obvious examples of this. Peter I mean, the dude was a fisherman. He was smelly and impulsive. You would have lots of New Year's resolutions, suggestions for Peter. Um, He thought he was a lot smarter than he actually was. He thought he was so loyal and brave, but he ran away in the end just like everyone else. But then what happened? Think about it in order. Jesus died, and then he Raised from the dead. And this one thing, as much as we want to talk about it globally, this one thing changed the life of Peter forever. What could you have called him before? Peter the stubborn? Peter the willful? Peter the deserter? You can call him all these things. And yet he's there waiting in the temple. And when the Holy Spirit comes and gives them the gift of tongues, gives them all these things, draws attention to this place where everybody in the area is like, holy smokes, what just happened? We have to see who is the one that stood up. It was Peter. And he, this is amazing, he gives a historically accurate, theologically sound, emotional first time anyone's ever heard gospel sermon. And did it work? 
Yes. You know why? Because he's no longer Peter the blah, blah, messed up turkey that he was before. He is something different. But church, what's changed in him? Everything. But where did it start? It started by Jesus changing the situation he was in. That's what Jesus did. Jesus changed the situation that he was in. And then Peter, as he saw that, was able to change through the power of God and the Holy Spirit everything about who he was. But Jesus first had to change the situation that he was in. Maybe you know the story of Saul and Paul and Saul hates Christians. He thinks that they are destroying the vision of God for the world. And his answer is to find them, put them on trial, and then kill them. That's his plan. So he's going all around, finding them, putting them on trial, killing them. And he's good at what he does. Because Paul is really smart. Saul, Paul, we're just, I'm going to call him whatever it comes out and you're just going to deal with it. He's really smart and he knows what he's doing and he's charismatic and he's, and he's got that like this. He's, a, he's authoritative. This is how it is. And people are responding to that and Christians are running from him until what happened. God changed his situation. He appears to him on the road. What are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And then he, and this is, he doesn't do this. He didn't do this with everybody. He made him sit in the dark for a few days to think about what he had done. And when the lights come back on, who is he? He is someone different. Why? Because his whole world and situation and everything changed. And then he was allowed, that word, he was allowed to change himself. He was allowed to start over. So the guy who was killing Christians becomes the point of the spear in taking the gospel to the rest of the world. Those who were taking out the gospel, their very story was one of change and transformation. But it tells us something, I think, really specific that we need to latch on this morning. At the bottom of who they were was this kernel of truth that was undeniable. And that is, God, through Jesus, changed everything about them. There's... Songs we know about that, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. What is that story of? It's a story of change. Story of change. And it's a story about realizing that the world itself is different. And because the world itself is different, you can start over. It's not what you thought it was. 
It's different. It's changed. It's changed in the moment that Jesus took that second first breath. It's changed. And when the world changes in that kind of way, you get to change too. You get to change too. And this message had to go out everywhere to everyone. Jesus said so. Why was it so important to Jesus? Well, it's this Jesus-y thing to do, right? But no, Jesus understood that everyone in the world, whether they knew it or not, needed the opportunity to start over. They needed it completely. And everyone needed to hear these words. God sent his son to die for you that you may have life eternally. And that who you were doesn't have to be who you will become. You can start over. You can change. I was going to talk about this a whole lot more and go into Acts chapter 13 and go all throughout Acts chapter 13, but I'm not going to. For this reason, in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13 confirms exactly what we see. Paul and Barnabas, they go to this place, they go to the synagogue, people come, and, and they, they want to tell everybody a few simple things. They, it's brilliant. They, they say, this, look at who God has been. Look at all the things that God has done that brought us up to this point. And then they say, are, are you with us on everything God has done? And the Jewish community is like, yes, because how can you not agree with them on that? God is there. God, is, God has been the one writing the story. Yes, God has been the one writing the story. God has been capable to deliver us time. Yes, God has delivered us time and time again. Well, guess what? He's not stopped. In fact, God looked down on us and saw there was a big problem, which was we are going to keep sinning and moving away from him. Over and over. We, it's been proven through the story, hasn't it? Time and time again that when given the choice between God and something else, what will we choose? Something else. So it gets to that point in the story. And Saul and Barnabas, they say, God still has a plan, and guess what? It's Jesus. God has changed the world through Jesus. He's now offering you forgiveness from your sin. He's offering you a new life. You can change who you are, and people hear that, and how do they respond? I'll tell you what, I'll get on that next week. They don't like it. And they don't like it because it requires them to look at themselves and the world in a different way than they're comfortable with doing. They don't like it. And so, Paul pulls a trick on them. Fine, you don't like it. Let's talk to those who have never been given the opportunity to hear that God loves them in this way. Where are the Gentiles in the room? The non-Jewish people. Come on over. Listen. Listen. God has been writing the story the whole time. He's delivered his people time and time again. He sent his son to this place to die for you. His son died, was buried, and has risen again. 
And because of that, you get forgiveness and eternal life with God. And what do the Gentiles say? Amen. You bet I do. You bet I do. Why? There's such a huge difference, church, between people who see themselves clearly and desire change and those who refuse to look at themselves and therefore think they don't need change. But here's the thing about the gospel. That element is not God's problem. God cares about it. Don't get me wrong. But that's not his problem to fix. He has done in Jesus everything he can to give people, no matter who they are, the opportunity to accept love and forgiveness, to accept life with God forever. And in order to get there, what do they have to accept about themselves? I'm not as okay as I pretend to be. My resolution list is a mile long. And I wish, I wish I could just start over. And into that space where we say, I wish I could just start over, Paul says, Jesus has come to be your Savior. That message starts to get out. And some people hear it, and they love it. Because they've been dying to start over. And other people hear it, and they hate it. Because they don't want to change a thing. And let me tell you something else. God's not going to change me. God needs to accept me as I am. And that is the last heartbreaking morsel of the gospel. The gospel is all about God accepting you as you are. It's all about it. It's not about God saying, if you would just do this better, if you would just be more like this, if you would just consider this, it's not about that. And the gospel has never, ever been about that. Never has. Instead, the gospel says, I see you exactly as you. I know things about you that you don't know about yourself. And you don't want me to sit down with you and talk to you about it. However, I knew that this was something you would not be able to overcome. Whatever this is, I knew that you would try your hardest, you would get discouraged, you would fail, you would give up. And then you would try your hardest, you would get discouraged, you would fail, you would give up. You would try your hardest. And God says, I couldn't take that anymore. Watching the people that he loved do this over and over again. So what did God do? He changed the world. He changed the world first. And then he offered us, through the death of his son Jesus, the opportunity to be made new. So that all the stuff doesn't matter anymore. The things that have defined you, 
the things that you carry around in your mind as the story that is the story of your life, those things, as Paul says, are gone. They're gone because they're not the story of your life. You have a new story. And guess what? That story is not even about you. It's about how God lets you start over. And about how all of your failings and your fears are not held against you anymore. You get to be new. We believe that the love of God in Jesus Christ changes everything. And we praise God that it does. Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you so much for this message. Thank you for what Jesus has done for us. Thank you for the love that you showed in overcoming these things for us. God, thank you for changing the world first so that we would have a second chance. And God, thank you for so graciously and lovingly say, I want you to be able to start over. God, thank you for not allowing us to be defined by our failures and our faults. God, thank you for loving us and forgiving us in a way that nothing or no one else in this world can. God, thank you for changing us. And may we not be so foolish as to think there are things about us that don't need to be changed. My God, may we be aware that in every moment, everything we do, every step we take, we are in need of a Savior, and you provided that Savior for us. We praise you for that, God. And may we let other people know they can start over too. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm contractually obligated to tell you to read your Bible this week since I didn't read a passage during the sermon today. Acts chapter 13, you can read all about it. But we have such a good God who loves us so much and who takes us as we are, who knows us, and who did what was necessary to save us. Gladly. Gladly he did this. So if you have any needs for encouragement or prayer or anything else this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing the song together.